Hello out there, breadwinners. This is Regina, and you are listening to Office Politics Radio, a podcast dedicated to helping you with your work life. You can get in touch with me and find out more about me and my show at officepoliticsradio.com. You can also follow the links to my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages, or you can email me directly at Regina at officepoliticsradio.com. Hello out there, breadwinners, and welcome back to another episode of Office Politics Radio. I'm, I'm, I'm dragging a little with this daylight savings. I'm not a big fan. I don't like looking out my window right after lunch to see that the sun has already gone down, because then it just feels like midnight, and it's really only 4.45. So I'm adjusting. I hope you're adjusting well to it as, as well. Um, we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode, speaking of adjustments. Um, generally, I'll take a listener question, and I'll answer that question with my top five. And so this episode, I'm still going to give you my top five, but it's going to be a different type of question. For whatever the reason, I've gotten a lot of questions lately about being an expert witness. So the last few months, I was pretty busy with my consulting business, but I always assume that people know what I'm doing when I'm like, oh, I can't go out this weekend. I got to work on this case. And, you know, I can't do some of these other things because I have to read through some discovery or depositions or whatever. And what I'm finding is that people have kind of a cursory understanding of what it means to be an expert witness that they've probably gotten from TV or movies. And I can guarantee you that there is nothing nearly as exciting in a real trial as what you're going to see when it's dramatized. So this week, I'm going to talk to you about my top five questions that I get as an expert witness about being an expert witness. So the first thing that I always get asked is, what exactly is an expert witness? I mean, what do you even do as far as the case is concerned? Um, I found a really good definition at... um, Free dictionary, freedictionary.com in their legal section. It says an expert witness is a person who's a specialist in a subject, often technical, who may present his or her expert opinion without having been a witness to any occurrence relating to the lawsuit or criminal case. It's an exception to the rule against giving an opinion in trial, provided that the expert is qualified by evidence of his or her expertise, training, and special knowledge. If the expertise is challenged, the attorney for the party calling the expert must make a showing of the necessary background through questions in court, and the trial judge has discretion to qualify the witness or rule he or she is not an expert or is an expert on a limited basis. I'm sorry, on limited subjects. Experts are usually paid handsomely for their services and may be asked by the opposition the amount they are receiving for their work on the case. In most jurisdictions, both sides must exchange the name and the addresses of proposed experts to allow pretrial depositions. So let's break that down a little bit. Um, Basically, an expert witness is a specialist in a subject, in a technical subject that your average person is not going to know about or understand at the level that the expert understands. So you're allowed to come in and give an opinion, and that's based on your years of experience and your education. And sometimes if you're watching trial drama, um, you'll see where they say um, they'll um, opposing counsel or counsel will object if they say, well, you know, the witness is giving an opinion. So if you're not an expert witness and you're speculating or you're giving hearsay or something like that about what you thought occurred, then that gets stricken from the record. 
then that gets um, an objection. And usually that will get, you know, stricken from the record or the judge will say the jury will disregard the witness's last response or something like that. A lot of expert witnesses will have their expertise challenged. So unless you can prove that, yes, I'm an expert because I have this this amount of experience or these this number of years of experience or whatever, opposing counsel can challenge you and the judge can throw you off of the case. That's never happened to me, but that's how the process goes. So if someone is claiming that they have a certain amount of expertise, then they have to actually prove that if it gets questioned by opposing counsel or by the judge. It says experts are paid handsomely. I just, that just, I don't know. That just strikes me as funny. I don't know that anybody gets paid handsomely, but your fees are basically based on your experience and your area of expertise. Some people work as expert witnesses. That's their full-time job. And I've seen some expert witnesses make a very nice seven-figure living off of being expert witnesses. But, you know, depending on your area of expertise, um, how specialized your your knowledge is and everything else that's really what sets your fee for your services and the end of the definition where it says in most jurisdictions you have to exchange their name and address that's because you will usually get deposed as an expert witness before the trial starts because opposing counsel wants to know what you're going to say once you get up on the stand so an expert witness is not an eyewitness because you weren't there you get to give your opinion based on the facts in the case. So a part of what you see on TV when people are reviewing documents, looking at medical records, looking at crime scene photos and those types of things, they're trying to determine where somebody was standing when they got shot or how blood drops, you know, got there and things like that. And those are some of the elements in criminal cases. In civil cases, for civil expert witnesses, you might see things more along the lines of um, forensic accounting, um, following the money, you know, figuring out why this money was diverted to this fund or how this amount of money ended up in this account if somebody was being put on trial for some type of embezzlement or something like that. So there's really a whole world of expertise that is out there. And depending on the elements in each case is how people will determine whether or not they need an expert to explain something super technical or just not common knowledge to the jury. Everything that you say as an expert witness, you either sign under penalty of perjury or you get sworn in if you're doing deposition testimony or you're testifying in trial. So it's really important to know what you're talking about. So when I get asked, you know, at what point does the attorney contact you? I always like to get contacted earlier in the case than later, obviously. So I have enough time for going through discovery, asking questions, seeing if I need any additional information to come up with my opinion. And then that way I know my opinion is solid because I'll definitely be questioned about it. And finding an expert sometimes takes a lot of time. So I like when attorneys are more proactive than reactive. And I've been called to be a rebuttal expert witness because the other side has retained an expert and then they didn't retain an expert. So they need somebody in like 10 minutes. It's like, well, we have a trial in a couple of weeks and can you look this over and can you do this? And it's like, "Ah." you know, that's not my preferred choice, but that happens as well. And finding an expert can be challenging sometimes. So depending on the area of expertise, um, you can go to some of the services. Um, They have listing services where there are agencies that 
will do your marketing for you. So when I first started, I kind of did my own marketing and networking and went to local bar association meetings and kind of, you know, looked at it that way and approached marketing and approached marketing and networking that way. And then, you know, you have a website and then other business cards and things that you can refer people to. But I also am listed with a listing service. So at first, that's how I got most of my business. But now most of my business comes through referrals and um, repeat customers, I guess you could say. My role in the whole process is to really just be that conduit from taking something that's complicated, complex, not, not not easily understood, and explaining it in just plain English for the jury. And I always ask a certain number of questions when I'm being retained in a case. Um, how much discovery do you have? What are our timelines? Are you going to trial? Is it state or federal court? Do you need to write a report? Because in state court in California, you don't have to write a report, but in all federal cases, there has to be a report you have to disclose all of the material that you relied upon, all of the papers that you read, any articles that you've written, any other cases that you've been a part of, what your background is, what your education is. You have to attach your CV. So there's a lot of pre-work that goes into it. Because one of my friends asked me, well, don't you just show up? And then they ask you questions. And I'm like, not really. There's a lot more preparation that goes into it than just showing up at trial. And in civil cases, really in criminal cases, in all cases, not all cases are going to go to trial. Most cases will settle before they even see a courtroom. So if every case that ever got filed were to go to trial, you know, the whole justice system would collapse under its own weight. But if you are a part of what goes on behind the scenes, and expert witnesses usually are, then people come to a settlement before it even goes to trial, but you still have done all of the other work that you needed to get to that point. The second biggest question that I get is, how do you even become an expert witness? Um, you know, and at what point in my career did I figure I was well-versed enough to be an expert? Well, in general, to be an expert in anything, the the I guess the common kind of the bar is set at 10,000 hours of experience doing something. Um, there are a lot of things, I guess, I mean, everybody's an expert in something. And there are a lot of things other than human resources that I'm an expert in. So if you ask me, if you gave me the name of any guest star, and you asked me what the plot was on... <clears throat> so if you were to name any guest star on Law & Order Special Victims Unit and you were to ask me what the plot of that episode was, I could tell you with no problem. So if opposing counsel said, okay, well, what's the, what was the plot twist or what was, what was the, the, what's the, what's the plot summary of the episode where Carol Burnett was on? And I'd be like, oh, that was the one where she was a former ballerina. And then in the beginning of the episode, they found this couple murdered in an apartment. Turns out that her husband had murdered them because the girl was a dancer and he was having an affair with her. And then he found out that she had a boyfriend. But then the twist was that the dude that was living with them that was pretending to be her nephew wasn't really her nephew. And he was helping her kill all her husbands because in total, she had five dead husbands under her belt. Next question. Okay, so what is the plot of the episode 
with Marsha Gay Harden? Okay, that's a trick question. Marsha Gay Harden appeared on more than one episode. Now, at first, she was pretending to be a white supremacist who got into it with Munch and Finn at the beginning, but it turns out she was a federal agent working undercover to infiltrate the white supremacist group. But then she came back again later as the same character on a different episode where it turns out that she had killed her ex-boyfriend's current girlfriend back when they were in college and covered the whole thing up for 20-something years and tried to pin it on the other guest star, Harold Perrineau, who was confined to a wheelchair when they found him down in the episode, when they found him down in prison in Florida, and they were trying to get him out to come back and be tried for that case. But it turns out it was all on her. So I'm going to need you to clarify which episode you're talking about. Now, do I have 10,000 hours of experience in SVU? Absolutely. Is that remotely useful for anybody on this planet? Absolutely not. So when it's about your expertise, it's not just being able to have the knowledge or recount something or say, yeah, you know, I know about this, this, and this. It has to be something useful. I mean, it's great trivia. Don't get me wrong. And we need a Trivial Pursuit SVU edition. But... That's probably not going to see the inside of a courtroom. So how I became an expert witness was a little bit different. So there's a difference between an expert witness and what's called a PMK, which is a person most knowledgeable. So in my previous job, I was a specialist, and I think I was probably the only person who had that title in the whole state. So we had a former employee that was suing my former employer, and their claims were in my area of expertise. So um, they called me and we went through everything with the attorney that was representing us. And he said, you know, I need you to give your opinion on this. And I reviewed all the documents and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Because I didn't, at the time, I didn't really know what an expert witness did either. So after I finished with that case, which was settled out of court on the first day of jury selection, um, I went onto the interwebs to kind of find out what an expert witness or how you become an expert witness. So there's no expert witness school. There's no exam. There's no certification or anything like that. It's really just you putting together your education, expertise, any articles that you've written or whatever background you have in that area and marketing yourself as an expert witness and getting work that way. So your opinions um, last forever. Your testimony is out there forever. So as you kind of build your resume and your name gets around, then you take on more cases. So as you build your resume and your name gets around, then you usually become a little more sought after. So as I mentioned before, most of my work comes through referrals and people that I've worked with before, which keeps me very busy. Potential clients can review your previous depositions and your previous trial testimony to kind of figure out, you know, what your opinion is all about. And then you're really serving a purpose. You're retained by the attorney, but you're serving a purpose for the jury. So the jury determines whether or not you're a genius at what you're talking about, or if you're just a crackpot. And they determine how much weight to give your testimony. So if they don't believe that, you know, your your background is really something that kind of sets you apart from, you know, anybody else on the street, they're probably not going to give you as much... They're probably not going to give your 
testimony as much weight as they would for someone else. And that's why your credentials have to be true and they're important. You know, you don't want a ballistics expert to take the stand and then find out that the person has never fired a gun. So your experience should be relevant. It should be current. You should be constantly adding things to, you know, your CV and getting certifications and not just, um, and also putting things together as far as what your relevant casework has been. Um, you can be disqualified, and that becomes a part of the record as well, like I mentioned before. And it's important to do a conflict check because you can be disqualified because you know one of the parties in the litigation, or you're related to one of the attorneys or something like that. And you don't want to embarrass yourself um, by you know not disclosing that you're somehow involved on another level with any of the parties in the litigation because the jury is basically relying on your objectivity. So obviously if they find out that, you know, this is a, a friend or something like that and you're calling that person in as an expert, they're going to imply that there's some type of a bias there and they're not going to put as much weight onto your testimony and you don't want that to happen. Um, the next question that I get the most is what kind of work that I do I do and do I work for one side or the other exclusively? Um, I don't work for plaintiff or defense um, exclusively. I run about 60-40 sometimes going either way. Sometimes it's closer to 50-50. And depending on what your ex area of expertise is, sometimes you can get, you know, a reputation like, oh, this person only works, you know, doing plaintiff work. And so they must they, they imply a bias from there as well. But it really comes down to your personal philosophy. For example, um, some expert witnesses only work with victims. So they only work for the prosecution. So it's not, you know, some, some bias that you have. It's like, you know, that's just the nature of your work. And I work in civil cases. So in employment law, it's, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> Sometimes the employee is the one who is has ran things off the rails and sometimes it's the employer. So I look at everything just objectively. I go into everything with an open mind. And even though you're retained by one side, my job is to render an opinion. And some of the work sometimes can be a little grueling. Um, you have to read everything line for line. And like I mentioned before, I've had cases where I've had, you know, 10, 15,000 pages of discovery that I have to read. And it's a lot of deposition summaries, a lot of, so it's a lot of depositions, not just the summaries, because there's always something buried somewhere in the testimony that you have to read through and, and understand. And I really dig that part because I like doing the research and I love a good story. But, um, in order to not just show up and answer questions, I have to do a lot of preparation in advance. So from the time that I have the initial contact with my client attorney, I'll ask a bunch of questions to find out what their case strategy is and what their approach is, what the claims are, and we go from there. Um, I have turned down work because the attorney either has an opinion already or I didn't feel like their case was as strong as they thought it was. And I might even give them some free advice and say, you might want to consider just settling this case. Um, and I've also turned down work because it's either not in my area of expertise or not in my preferred area. Like I don't really like doing wage and hour cases. There's a lot of a lot of reading that goes into that. You know, I don't really like having to go back and figure, okay, well, this person was on shift at this point. They should have had a shift differential. They should have been paid time and a half or whatever, because those get to be tedious and it's better to have an economist do that kind of a thing 
or it's not my preferred area, even if it is a human resources area, like, um, like classification, like this person is classified as an hourly employee, but they should have been exempt and this, that, and the other, because again, that becomes very tedious with having to go through and figure out, you know, penny for penny what they should have been paid. And that's really more of the financial aspect of employment. And I kind of leave that to other experts, but I do like talking case strategy. Um, I've had situations where, you know, an attorney already has an opinion and they're like, well, we want you to say blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, <laughs> no, ma'am, you are paying for my time, not for my opinion. So if I can't get to the same conclusion that you got to based on my own independent review of information, then it's it, it's over before it starts. You know, I had a situation recently where where I had an attorney call me and we were going through the initial consultation and we really spent 45 minutes on the phone and he was just going back and forth with me. So one of my pet peeves just in general is when you disagree with someone and they think that you're disagreeing because you don't understand what their what their stance is. It's like, I understand exactly what you're saying and I disagree. So he was spending all this time trying to explain and re-explain, but the crux of it was... Um, his client had admitted to criminal activity, which impacted the civil case that he wanted me to be an expert on. And it's like, but if he's already said that he's guilty of the criminal side, how do you think he's going to get out of that when it comes to the civil side? So we went back and forth and I was like, um, thank you for your time, sir. But I didn't, you know, take his case because I was like, what? So there's been a small number of times where I just, I can't get onto a case because it's just, it's just not, it's either going to crash and burn or I don't feel like I'm going to add anything of value to the case or the person's already made up their mind or something else like that. You know, your opinion as an expert is, it carries a lot of weight, you know, and it can sway a jury one way or the other. And I like to sleep at night, you know, I'm not just going to get up on the stand and just say anything, you know, I have to worry about my professional reputation and all the experts that I know are very concerned with that. So it's our job to just be honest from the beginning and not have to run into this, well, did your client prepare this report for you or did your client give you an opinion? And I can honestly say, no, he or she did not. Um, the next part, um, the next question that I get the most is, what do you like most and what do you like the least about being an expert witness? Well, I love a good story. <laughs> you know, that's probably why I like so much serial, um, serialized dramas. Um, I like putting timelines together and figuring out who's in compliance, who's not, what should have happened, what could have happened. And I really do like the report writing and the research. It gives me an opportunity to lay things out in a way that is not going to be understood any other way. Like you can, you know, look at some evidence and if you don't have a background in human resources, you may not understand some of the nuances or how some of the things are put together and impact each other. And, you know, ever since I was little, I've always liked helping people. So I like being a part of the process without being knee deep in the process because I never really wanted to be an attorney or work doing that full time. But I like making my little cameos, you know, popping in and being an expert and then popping back out of the process because some of the litigation literally takes two, three years, you know, that I handle. And when you're talking about um, the delays that come up or when you have to be prepared and some of the stress related to that, I'm good to just drop in. Let me just do what I do, give you my opinion, and then, you know, 
we we go from there and either we settle or we have to go to trial but at that point it's just over you know I don't have to I'm not usually involved in the case from the inception but like I said I do like to be involved earlier than later um some of the things that I don't like that much is really just the nature of litigation is contentious and sometimes that can be stressful just being prepared to be battered really really because opposing counsel is trying to you know either discredit you or discredit your opinion and make it seem like you have no idea what you're talking about and that's just the nature of the game so you know your depositions can can be long um the testimony can be long i've had to testify i've had to testify at trial a few times but that never really lasts very long, but the depositions I've had, my shortest deposition was about 45 minutes. My longest deposition was close to eight hours. And I'm like, why are you asking, I don't, what? Why are you asking me all these questions? It's like, my opinion's pretty straightforward, especially if I've already written a report, but you know, there's, it's just, it's, it's, it's the fog of war kind of a thing. And you know, you're in there for eight hours. They don't feed you. They're like, would you like some more water? No, I would like some go home. I would like some leave this room. I would like some fresh air. You know, I don't want to be in here. I don't want your snacks. I just want you to finish, uh, wrap up your questions, counselor, so we can all get on with our lives. So some of it is really great. And I like to see, I've been involved in some really great cases and, um, really helped people kind of along their way to get something settled or get something resolved. And then there's other times where it's like, and I'm doing this because what? But overall, you know, they've been positive experiences. Um, and then the last question I get is people always want war stories like, oh, you know, and tell us some stories about what happens in trial. And, I, and like I said, it's not really that interesting when you get into the, the trial. There's been a few times where it's like, oh, okay, well, that was interesting, but nothing like, you know, you're out of order and this whole courtroom's out of order. There's no big, you know, somebody coming back from the dead um, kind of a thing. And there's no, you know, twin brother that was really the perpetrator kind of a situation. But there are some things that, um, have, that I've been involved in where I feel like I've personally, you know, either helped a company, you know, resolve an issue, or I've helped an individual resolve an issue. Um, one of the bigger cases that I handled was, which I thought was probably one of my more interesting cases, is it was an organization that worked 24-7. So what happened was they had an individual who was taking FMLA to care for a family member. But these geniuses that he was working for, instead of either having conversations or calling each other or whatever, they put everything in email. So there were emails that said, make sure that you essentially harass this person as much as possible. And all of that came out when we, when, you know, my client attorney sent a subpoena for all of the emails. So I had to go through every single email and there was so much in there where they basically hung themselves and it ended up, you know, going to mediation and he got a very nice settlement and everything like that. But it's those types of things where even when I'm tired or I don't feel like reading anymore or I've had enough and I'm like, okay, let me, let me just get up and, and find something and finding all of that out because the attorneys don't have the time to go through, you know, everything, like I said, line by line and their paralegals will send you information and then you end up dealing with, 
you know, having another round table and saying, okay, well, you know, this, this email says this, this email says that, and then those things get entered or highlighted as evidence when they're giving depositions and stuff like that. And I know had I not been a part of that case and some of the other cases that I've handled where I have found a lot of things that are helpful to get a resolution, then it might have went another way. And, you know, at the end of that case, my client did tell me, you know, if it wasn't for your work on this case, then we probably never would have gotten here. And, th- and those types of things are the reason why I continue to do it. So I've been an expert for, you know, the last eight years or so, close to 70, 70 80 something cases. And each one of them is different. They're not... Um, not nearly as as dramatic as people might think it is, but it's not as simple as just showing up and answering questions either. So those are my top five for this episode. So if you are interested in being an expert, you know, in something other than law and order, there are a lot of books out there. There are some websites that you can go to and some listing services. They do offer training on how to put your profile together, how to put your CV together, some good tips and tricks. And and some tips and tricks on how to get started. Or you can just contact me through email or my social media. If you've been enjoying the show, tell a friend and share my links all over your social media because the best endorsement is word of mouth and that's how I grow my audience. Also take a moment to go onto iTunes and leave me a rating review so other people that we don't know that we're not friends with yet can also find my show. All right, breadwinners, that's it for me for now. Thank you very much for listening in and keeping in touch. I read everything that you submit and I appreciate all of your feedback and your comments. You can find me online at officepoliticsradio.com. My site has links to all of my social media platforms as well as my contact information. If you have any other questions, comments, or show ideas, just get in touch with me. Have a great work week. Be nice to your HR staff. And until I talk to you again, behave yourselves.